1: I'm Rick Brudico, your mentor host. If you're a repeat listener to the mentors, you know our goal is to challenge your thinking about life and work. And I'm sure today's guest will give you a lot to think about. He will definitely has accomplished a unique set of events that most of us will never have a chance to experience. But most importantly, I'm going to know where and how these events help to transfer to his life. Something we can all use to. Before to get that, we get to that, though, let me remind you that my personal philosophy is that wisdom is the important thing in life, not the, not the organization you go to, the school you went to, the grades you got, uh, the IQ, but wisdom. And what is wisdom except the knowledge, the intelligence, whatever you want to call it, that, that has been modified by all the experiences you've had over time. So we try to get people on this show that have accomplished something they may not be the most financially successful they may not be the most business successful they may not be most life successful but generally when to put the package together they've got a lot to tell us about this is a a a unique guest we have today we will talk about that in just a second but let me remind you to write down this number 844-610-8265 that's 844-610-TALK you can call it anytime 24 7 Leave us a comment or a question, and we'll try to answer it the best we can on the show. And anytime, please go to www.thementorsradio.com, as there you can see the show notes and other information regarding this show and all of the other shows that we've done over the years. So with that, let me tell you a little bit about my guest, really a unique guest in this sense. This is Mr. Tom Dooley, and he won his first race walking event the day after he learned the sport. He was hooked. He held 11 U.S. records in racewalking. That is, he broke 11 U.S. records. He held four national and one international racewalking championship title. He owns 52 pairs of shoes, all the same. We'll ask him about that in a second. He's been in two Olympiads on the U.S. track team in 1968 Mexico City and 1972 Munich Games. Those of you that remember that, those are two infamous times in, in both Olympic history and in international history he's taught school as a history teacher in a local high school for 36 years and he served for 26 years as a national coach for the leukemia and lymphoma society in team training and we'll ask about that as well so what an interesting background so hello tom how are you and please tell me how you got 52 shoes and what do you do with them (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, what I did with them, first of all, is I wore them, and uh, and now I think I'm down to 25. Is what I've got left. Uh, I used 25 pairs, and uh, intervening 50 years, and so near the end of my life, I hope to to, to reach a tie.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, when I saw it, uh, I saw this little thing on the note sent by my producer. Uh, and I saw 52 pair of shoes. I figured you were going to tell me something like, I use one pair a week and wear them out from all the practice sessions. But I guess it wasn't that easy.
2: No, it, it, it certainly wasn't. And along the way, I learned how to resell the shoes. And so when they, when they disappear, they disappear for good. And they're, they're not used to anything except as landfill.
1: Yes, well, that's that's what happens when you use things well. I still have my first set of uh, uh, athletic shoes that I had probably 40 years ago. You know, I didn't didn't wear them out as, like you do, I'm sure. Uh, but, Tom, I am quite, uh, interested in th- something that I think I'm aware of on, on your shoes. They were given to you by a manufacturer as a competitor and a member of the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, so maybe you could tell that story because it's always something that interests me, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would like to know how that works.
2: Uh, sure. Sure. Um- The brand was Adidas, and of all the shoe manufacturers in the 60s and 70s, uh, they, way before the Amateur Sports Act, that's all they legally could do was give you equipment. And so the equipment that we received, and in my case it was wearing Adidas uh, uniforms and Adidas shoes, is in lieu of a shoe contract, which didn't come until much, much later, in fact, it was like 1980, is that that was the only remuneration you could get. And shoes were very, very expensive uh, at the time, and so they were well appreciated.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And I guess probably getting the latest and greatest technology, too, I would think.
2: Yes, Um uh, the readers may or may not know that, uh, your listeners rather, may not. There was a big rivalry at the time between the only two manufacturers were Adidas and Puma uh, at the time. Nike was not even heard of uh, at the time when we started, and they would continually try to innovate the latest and greatest, hand them out to the um, athletes that were sponsored by each company, and um, hope, hope that those shoes would result in... Uh, in the uh, resulting records or whatever have you, and then that, that would be a great sales promotion.
1: Well, and I imagine they also learned a lot, too. I mean, if you complained about the shoe, you probably said, you know what, this isn't getting me anywhere. Um, the, the, I'm not improving, or I get a blister, or whatever it is that might be that happens to people that wear t- shoes like you do. Um, wasn't that part of it, too, that they were learning off of your
2: use? They would, and... Um They would invite athletes, actually, uh, once we were over in Europe, they would invite uh, athletes to have the opportunity to actually go to the shoe manufacturing uh, companies and actually try out the latest, and they would do on-the-spot modifications and get it to where you could actually use them and then send you back for your competitions with, with what you actually specified. And so everybody individually could actually wear a pair of shoes that were uh, made specifically for them and their needs.
1: Well, see, that's interesting because um, one of the things that we're going to try to do today is uh, learn from you some of the things that happened in your life, and especially the athletic life, and and the ability to be on the starring stage and for uh, the U.S. Olympics, and 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 transfer those to both life lessons and business lessons for all of us that have never had that experience. But here's an example. You were probably, I'm not you, I wouldn't say you were only, but this was a unique kind of focus group, right? I mean, that's what we do in business all the time. We gather get users and we talk to them for a long time and people are behind mirrors, one-way mirrors and looking and taking notes and trying to figure out what these people want. They were doing it with you on the open stage.
2: Exactly. And the more success an individual sponsored athlete had, using a product that was uh, was becoming well known that did translate into business sales. And it was very, very successful for a long period of time. And that model is continued today with, with the third major brand of Nike.
1: Oh yes, I'm sure you see Nikes everywhere you go. And uh, they're like, I guess in almost every sport, but probably so are the others by now, I guess. Um, but when when uh we're coming up close, we're coming up close to a break. we only have a minute left, but maybe you could give us a quick uh, definition that we'll go into after. what was your sport, and what does it mean race walking?
2: Sure. Uh, my sport was as, as you said, race walking, which conformed to the rules of walking and not running, and it's a, an extremely technical sport with judging to make sure that you are walking the entire length of your uh, race Uh, the races in the olympics are 20 kilometers and 50 kilometers which translates to 12 and a half miles and 31 miles which is the longest track event in the u.s and the olympics
1: Yes. And, and uh, so we're, as I said, we're coming up against a break and that's a very interesting sport. A lot of us, which don't know a lot about, we'll pick it up again right after the break. Stay with us. I'm talking to Tom Dooley, an Olympian, two Olympics, the 1968 and 1972 Olympics. And we look forward to talking right after the break. So stay with us.
3: all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. MyPillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com
1: or call 1-800-890-6632
3: 1-800-890-6632 and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now.
4: And class classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration. And a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. used in catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses these textbooks are highly praised by all even award-winning secular university professors go to catholictextbookproject.com to find out why
0: and now back to the mentors where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business
1: welcome back if you just joined us, you're listening to the Mentors Radio. I'm your mentor host for today, Rick Brudico, and we're speaking with Tom Dooley, a very interesting guest for me. The first time I've interviewed accountants, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, you name it, I've interviewed them, but I've never interviewed a two-time Olympian. So I'm extremely excited about this opportunity. Uh, my guest is Tom Dooley. He holds 11 U.S. records in race walking. He also has four national and one international race walking championship title. And he was telling us about his 52 pairs of shoes and how Adidas gave these to the the athletes so that they could perfect the shoe, but also it was their way of making contributions in the days before athletes could be paid. I do remember that. He also was describing to us race walking, something that probably a lot of us have seen and don't really understand real well. So I'd like to pick it up again there. And I'll start by saying to you, Tom, you must remember Walk, Don't Run with Cary Grant, a movie about race walking. I think it was in the Tokyo Olympics or something like that that it was set. But uh, that's what I know about race walking. Maybe you can get us to what the real sport's about
2: yeah I would say that that was probably the worst description and portrayal of people walking that I've ever seen, and seeing Cary Grant walk in his underwear didn't really hit the mark but um but it was that, funny
1: though right it was funny
2: it it was funny, and just the title makes me laugh but uh, in terms of actual the actual sport it was um let's just say it was less than what what could be shown there's other movies like that and it's, I just tend to forget them. but uh, <laughs> I imagine you would. And that's kind of why I'd like you to
1: review it one more time. I know you started to right before the break, but review one more time what this sport is about and what's the technique and the uniqueness about this particular sport.
2: Sure. Um, it did get, the sport got its start in England, and the two types of walks were walking from pub to pub in England, mm. distances of around seven miles or from church to church, and those races still exist in England today. Over time, as they um, progressed, they began to create rules to differentiate differentiate between walking and running, and the first rule was one foot must be on the ground at all times, and that's the difference between walking and running. And later on, they came up with a second rule was that your knee of your lead leg must be straight through the entire range of motion until it passes your midline. Mm. And what that does is prevent people from looking like Groucho Marx, (laughs) that if you walked fast with your knees continually, continually bent, not only did you get shorter, you could walk very, very fast. And so... By creating the one foot on the ground at all times and your knees straightened, then you have what we would look at and uh, your viewers would look at as modern race walking. You know what's
1: interesting about this as you say these things? I'm just mentioning – I mentioned a a movie that was shot back in the 50s or 60s, and you mentioned Groucho Marx, and I'm thinking – you and I are about the same age, but most, most of my listeners probably went, what in the heck are they talking about? Groucho who?
2: Well, maybe not. Yeah, you're right. Oops, that's, that's a historical fact there. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> minor one. Yeah, you're right.
1: <laughs> but it's good. Uh, so also, so let's move forward from there and talk about another thing that you spent a lot of time doing, which was being a teacher. I, I know you taught high school history. Uh, uh, am I correct about that?
2: Yes, um, I graduated um In the 60s from San Jose State, which at the time had one of the top uh, teaching um, career uh, education programs at the time, I started teaching and I um, basically taught history for 36 years until I retired.
1: Like my favorite, my, one of my favorite subjects in school was history, so I'm jealous of the fact, and, and by the way, the, for a lot of people who don't know it, a lot of the state schools were so-called teachers' colleges early on because they trained teachers, and obviously in things such as history, they had uh, the lead kind of in, in that, that particular field. Um, but when you taught history, you were t- teaching students, were you also a coach at that time?
2: Yes, Um in the, in the 60s all the way through probably the 90s, uh, when you were a history teacher or, and you were uh, a male specifically, uh, one of the reasons you were hired was to do something in, uh, in the extracurricular area. And because I had a track and field background, I was signed up to teach track and field and cross-country in addition to my history duties, which I did for quite a few years.
1: So the you weren't you weren't really teaching race walking though at that point I guess it was no it was no the, was no, not. the more typical teaching. yeah yeah but well although race walking is as you made the point earlier uh, is what uh, 20 kilometers and 50 kilometers so we're talking about pretty good distance and I guess therein is the
2: similarity. Yeah, it was interesting, and because teaching was so competitive at that time to get a job, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area. my One of my professors at uh, San Jose State, um, before I went for my job, he says, don't forget to wear your Olympic blazer. I <laughs> did, and I got the job, because the principal was very impressed with that. So.
1: As well he should be, as well he, we all should be. There's very few of us that ever had that experience. Um, I am. Marriage, I think. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. You got, and you got to play all your cards when you're at the table. So um, but I, I'm, I'm curious, I would think in both of those two things, long distance running or distance running and, of course, distance walking or race walking. Um, one of the common factors that comes out in my mind, which just seems to ring through all kinds of things, and that is endurance. So, you have any hints? You know the, how we can adopt that endurance. That endurance gives us the ability to complete something, whether it's a sport, whether it's troubles we have in life, whether it's our business. Any any thoughts on that?
2: Yes, um, we we had talked about a little bit about that earlier, and uh, I believe that in any endeavor, uh, having a plan for the future. And having the ability to alter that plan but not to lose sight of the plan is really, really valuable. And it was one of the major principles I tried to instill when I was teaching and then coaching later on was that we are doing, uh, we're, we're completing an endurance event. And so I'm going to be with you the entire way, and if we need to change your your path or your I. Uh, your goals, that would be fine, but we're not going to lose sight of what we're trying to accomplish. And having the ability to look at that long-distance goal and that um, that focus is, was, I think, really important. And I think that carry over, that would carry over to the future quite well.
1: And so, you know, and I've certainly experienced a lot of these in my life, I know that so many others have. Sometimes you meet a problem, whether it's a life problem, it could be an illness problem, it could be, a, and so often it's a business problem, and you really don't see the end in sight. But the alternative is, and let's just use a business example, is to close down or lay off or whatever. Um, you know, what, when you're in a race and you're out there 20 miles and, and you've got another 10 miles to go, uh, what... What gives you that thing to say, you know, I can take that next step, I can make that next move?
2: I think, well, you have to have the faith in what you've been doing and what you have been preparing for, and and then also having the knowledge that you can complete this because you've done similar things in practice uh, along the way, and you've had problems along the way, and you've managed uh, to overcome them. And so by doing all of those things over a long season or during your career, you know that there's always going to be ups and downs along the way, but you actually will get through it.
1: Well, I think I'm amazed because when I see these distance runners, I mean, I was a, a casual runner, an exercise runner, 5Ks, 10Ks, things like that. And I know that it got hard as I got the race got longer. At least it appeared to be getting longer, even as I got closer to the finish line. But again, as happens on this show, as we're coming up against the break, I'd like to pick that up after the, sh- after the break and ask you some of the things that helps you maintain your focus so that we can figure out how we can translate those things into life lessons. Stick with me. I'm speaking with Olympian Tom Dooley.
5: Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing we as a body of believers are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org.
4: Are you struggling with how to practice your faith at work? Get answers to your questions and much more on the Catholic Business Journal, focusing on careers and business with a Catholic perspective. That's CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. The Catholic Business Journal, generating a return on principle. CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. CatholicBusinessJournal.biz.
6: Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, Give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to Make Today Matter. Available everywhere books are sold.
7: Do you want to make a difference in your life? Can you do it in your current job or do you need a career change? I'm Lucy Claire Curran and I want to be your new career coach. I excel in creating breakthrough aha moments for my clients, but see for yourself. For a limited time, get a full coaching session at no cost. One session free. Go to newcareer.biz. thats newcareer.biz. newcareer.b-i-z, newcareer.biz. Let's do this.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, hello again. You're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. I'm Rick Brutico, your host. Thanks for joining us today. We have a very interesting interview with Tom Dooley, an Olympian. Uh, And he's explaining to us some of the the difficulties and the issues in being an Olympian, and especially in long distance racing. His sport was race walking, but I can contribute the same thing to jogging and other things. so, Tom, I kind of like to pick it up there. I, I, as as I started to say at the last segment, um, I did a little of jogging myself, mainly to stay in shape, and 5Ks, 10Ks, I think 10Ks is the most I ever ran, so certainly not long distance. But can I remember some of those 10Ks, and I was convinced they were moving the line further and further back every time, and I thought, can I make it, even though I would made many in the past? So you're talking about r- running you know, 12, 13 miles uh, and 30 miles, uh, I'm kind of curious what 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 gimmicks did you use to maintain that focus that allowed you to carry on till the very end? You got any hints for us?
2: I think the main focus is exactly that is focusing on the on the goal at hand and uh, as we had talked before is starting out very small as I did with a a one-mile race and being successful that over time my goals expanded to further and further distances and the aim to be more and more successful, which would, at the time, that would culminate in the Olympic Games. And so keeping through all the things that went on before and after and during that um, training period over those years, it was always perhaps the single-mindedness that I can go from the start to the finish uh, as long as I keep my eyes on that goal. And that, with luck, um, enabled me actually to reach those goals. So it was, I think, the perseverance that knowing that you are going to have highs and lows in your career um, were insignificant as long as you kept your eyes on the final prize.
1: I think that's so true, and I, I like your way of relating it to goals. I know I often tried to teach the executives that work for me or managers that work for me that, um, you know, if you carve a, a, a long-term goal up to, in a series of small-term objectives along the way, and if you give them measurable results, something that you can know about, you keep achieving the next objective, and before you know it, you've achieved the long-term goal. Um, I don't know that you can do that. Maybe analogy may not work in in a long race, but yet in some ways it seemed to, uh, it seemed to help me at least in my you know little career doing that. Um, is there any similarity to that or is it just the training that really sets you all up for it?
2: Well, the training certainly gives you the confidence that you have the ability to achieve your goal, but you can also in an actual event, let's just say the Olympic trials have intermediate goals. Um, Where would I be and how fast I would be at certain points and what position would I be in those points and would I be able to set myself up to have a good result? And that is basically how people train and that's how people race and compete is by having short-term goals and immediate goals and then setting yourself up to do your very best in the last part of any race.
1: And that's exactly what I was thinking might be been there, though we hadn't really discussed that particular end. So it it is a lot like business. You establish short-term goals, where you should be, what your you know what your uh, exposure is, I guess, to th- being fatigued, and also what your what your factor is on timing to the extent that you know what your times are when you're going along, and you just meet each one of those goals, and before you know it, you've met the long-term goal too.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Well, all right. I want to move on to another subject now, and uh, that is the uh, the two Olympics that you were in. Um, for our, our listeners that are younger, you may or may not remember that the, both the 1968 Olympics and the 1972 Olympics, I think we can say were infamous for a lot of reasons. And um, the one that I'm really referring to first, Tom, is the uh, 1968 Olympics where uh, Tommy Smith and uh, John—I think it was Carlos, if I remember correctly—were uh, um, did the infamous pa- uh, black hand salute while they were on the podium. Uh, did you know about that? Did you know about? Did you know them? Do you have an insight that you can help uh, us understand what that is and how that came out for the, For them?
2: Uh, sure. Um, first of all, both John and Tom. Uh, were roommates of mine at the Olympics because we had all attended San Jose State together uh, in the 60s, and we were still students. Uh, I had breakfast with John many, many times, and would always see uh, Tommy Smith on his way to his ROTC uh, meetings at 8 o'clock in the morning at at San Jose State. Uh, the, The athletes who were not involved in that actual protest were very unaware of exactly what was going on, although there were rumors that were rife throughout the village. Everybody sort of knew something was happening or going to happen, but no one was sure exactly what was going to happen. And um, it was just a very small group of athletes who decided to protest in fact, uh, the third member, uh Lee Evans of San Jose State, received notice before his race, which was later in um, in the Olympic Games that he was n- not going to protest after uh he won his gold medal. In other words, the protest was considered done with uh-huh. the actions of Tom and uh, John
1: yeah, oh, very interesting. And do do you stay in touch with these individuals? Have you seen them relatively recently?
2: I have kept in contact with um, all those athletes uh, that I was familiar with in the 68 and 72 games, and we have reunions from every 10 years. And I just um, got back from the 50th reunion of the 68 Olympic team in Colorado Springs. Uh, Tommy Tommy was there, and uh, Lee – is in Africa at the uh, at this moment, and John had another speaking engagement. I believe it was in Spain, so he didn't make the reunion.
1: Well, it's very amazing, and for those of you that don't, you should look up this uh, this um, event because these these gentlemen changed history in so many ways, and they woke us up to uh, a lot of what was going on in the world that that candidly, most of the world wasn't aware of, and on and sacrificing, and that's what I'm going to ask you. As we kind of run run up against another break here, I'm sure he had committing some sacrifices that affected them. Do you are you aware of sacrifices that they may have, in, come into play because of this? And we only have about 30 seconds for this.
2: Yes, um, the sacrifices of both Tom and John was that their careers after the Olympics were ever affected. In other words, they almost had an asterisk after their name when applying for jobs or career choices for many years after 68 that um, they, were, they were known as the guys who protested because there was a very, very vehement backlash against their actions uh, in those Olympic Games.
1: That's true. Okay. I remember that myself. Yeah, I remember that myself. So we're up against a break again, so stick with me. And I'm going to ask uh, Tom about the Munich Olympics as soon as we come back. You're listening to The Mentor's Radio
8: you have a message for our listeners imagine right now instead of hearing these words you could be hearing your message on the mentors radio show we offer a multimedia package and special benefits available only for our radio partners we love to customize a package that best suits your needs and goals see for yourself give us a call at 844-610-8255 that's 844-610-talk 844-610-8255 or drop us a note at the mentorsradio.com to learn more
5: Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org
8: have a message for our listeners imagine right now instead of hearing these words you could be hearing your message on the mentors radio show we offer a multimedia package and special benefits available only for our radio partners we love to customize a package that best suits your needs and goals see for yourself give us a call at 844-610-8255 that's 844-610-talk 844-610-8255 or drop us a note at thementorsradio.com to learn more
0: And now, back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, welcome back. I'm your mentor host, Rick Brutico, and we're talking with Tom Dooley, an Olympian who experienced in the uh, both the U.S. Olympics in Mexico City in '68 and in Munich in 1972. And for those of you that know history, know those were two infamous Olympics for lots of reasons gave us an insight on what happened on that uh, olympics in mexico city and i come to find out that he was actually the roommate of two of the people that were uh, of most interest in that which would be tommy smith and john carlos um but i also want to know about the munich olympic because that was a, a tragedy beyond a different kind of thing altogether and certainly a, a tragedy so maybe uh we could start if you don't mind by just Telling our listeners, especially those that may not be aware, of what happened at Munich. And then I'd kind of like to know, I, I can follow up on that question about where you were and things that may have happened. But maybe just let's start with that, if you don't mind, Tom.
2: Sure. Um, the, the, the What they call the Munich Massacre of 72 was um, certainly a, a tragedy that uh, no one expected, no one thought of uh, at the time. Um, we didn't know when we got up in the morning, that very, very early in the morning, that uh, terrorists had attacked the Israeli compound that was very, very close to uh, close to ours, and that they were holding hostages. And it so happens that on that day, um, the, the walkers were invited by the German uh, athletes to go to a party celebrating. Uh, the, actually, celebrating the German victory in the 50-kilometer walk. So, the walkers that were available from a variety of countries, we we were outside the village and had no contact with what actually was going on in the village. But coming back in the evening, it was extremely surreal to see tanks and machine guns emplacements surrounding the entire village, the entire compound. And it was only because we had a German translator and interpreter on our bus that we could actually get into the compound because the compound was in lock lockdown mode. And then later that evening, we actually were able to see the helicopters uh, taking the re, the surviving captives from the Israeli compound um, later to the airport where the rest of them actually were killed. So it was a, just a surreal Event, not knowing exactly what was going on, and one of my friends that I knew as an Israeli walker actually, when the gunfire started, was able to escape of uh, as the um the terrorists were expanding their search for um Israeli athletes by jumping out of a window and getting over to the u s compound and uh it, it just it, it's very hard to explain. Even though you were there and part of it's just a mind-numbing
3: experience.
1: I, I agree. It was mind-boggling for the entire world. We'd never seen anything like it before. Even when the Olympics were held in countries that weren't necessarily our best friends, but here to be in Germany and uh, have that happen, we we really were you know exposed to a surreal. Uh, a surreal opportunity operation that we'd never seen before. And of course, unfortunately we've seen a lot of that as the years have transpired, but that was for me, at least the one that first, I mean, do you remember how many people were killed? I, I can't, I want to say eight or nine. Is that
2: right? You know, I believe two were killed in the village and seven, I believe were taken hostage by the terrorists. And those are the people that were taken to the helicopters and then Over to the airport in which the helicopters, the two helicopters, were later blown up, and all of those hostages died.
1: Yes. I I
2: think nine was the total. And then they canceled the Olympics the very next day for a, a funeral. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm sure that had a great deal of effect on you, so let's maybe get to a little different part of your life, And uh, but I had to ask you about that. That's uh, it's, it's that's just you being a history teacher, and boy, you were part of history And in maybe a way that's, uh you certainly would not to re- like to relive, but nonetheless, you were there, as they say. So let me ask you about uh, this team in training. I, I don't know a lot about it, but I know that, this, that there's some involvement you've had, I believe, for over 25 years where you're a coach and... Uh, uh, it somehow raises money from the for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So maybe you could describe what it is, and then describe what you did.
2: Yes, the um, the program I started uh, the walking program. I was contacted by uh, by the local chapter of the Leukemia Society of America, and they were putting together a walking program, which consisted of training volunteers to be trained over a uh, 22-week period to be able to walk a full marathon and along the way to raise a certain amount of money for charity, and that charity money then would go toward furthering uh, leukemia and lymphoma research. They called me up because they said, We heard you knew how to walk. I said, yeah. I guess so. I, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, we're going to our first race is going to be in Hawaii. And I said, that sounds like a good deal in December. I mean, we're going to race in Hawaii, and that'll be fine. And we started with a very, very modest team of about 35 and in the San Francisco Bay Area. And later, this it grew and grew and became very, very successful uh, as a charity Um, organization that could raise money by uh, training participants to do an event uh, of their choice or our choice and raise a significant amount of money that would go into cancer research. And it's been very, very successful. And um, I did it for the past 25 years and I coached I coach 55 seasons, and my last season ends in about four days with my very last Honolulu Marathon.
1: Well, good you know, for you. Do you. have back where you started.
2: I'm just, in fact, I wanted to do it that way. Oh, that's and great. It was always interesting because my birthday is always on the, on the event weekend. So, <laughs> excuse me, and that'll, that'll be fine
1: that's right well that that's amazing you know so this this event uh, what's a little unclear to me is who are the people that are being trained because you're training somebody else who are those people are they budding athletes or what are they
2: no i i would say they are um like an average participant who sees an advertisement of do do you want to go to a race and complete a marathon and raise money for charity and they sign up uh, it's usually point of uh, point of advertising, where the, we would send flyers out all across the country and put them in magazines, and uh, word of mouth, and advertise locally uh, in each location. And it just grew and grew over those 25 years. Uh, that we had 53 chapters across the U.S. that would promote it, and. There were thousands of people who joined, and they're still actually doing it all across the country, although the format has changed slightly.
1: Well, I, I think I read, you maybe can confirm or not, I read somewhere, I believe, that they've raised over a billion dollars for these charities. Does that sound right to you?
2: Uh, that, that's right. That that number was reached, I think, two years ago.
1: It's a, it's uh, a, an amazing accomplishment. And You, uh, having had a, a severe leukemia give me a person in my family, uh I can only thank you on behalf of all of those patients who struggled with that horrific disease and uh, all the work that you did, so thank you for that, and I'm sure you took away a lot of good things. We're coming up up against a break again, so let me invite you to stay with us uh, for our final segment, and we'll see what uh, Tom Dooley has taken away from this career of over 55 years of coaching, teaching, and being an athletic participant. Hey, there's something new for you at TheMentorsRadio.com website, a new special offers page. There you'll find unique offers available only to our listeners, you. For example, have you ever wondered if a career coach could help you get to the next level? Find out. For a limited time, a superb career coach is offering you a free session. The offers change all the time, so bookmark TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. TheMentorsRadio.com.
3: There's a new book out that will open your eyes in ways you never expected. It's called Bully of Asia by Stephen W. Mosher, a critically acclaimed author and internationally recognized authority on China. In Bully of Asia, you'll find insightful and timely commentary on the economic and geopolitical rise of the People's Republic of China. You'll learn what China's aspirations for resurgence and hegemony mean for America and the free world. Bully of Asia is a must-read for anyone concerned about China's growing power and influence, and the threat of an increasingly aggressive and militaristic China poses to Western democratic values. To get your copy of Bully of Asia, go to bullyofasia.com. That's bullyofasia.com. Find out why China's dream is the new threat to world order. Bullyofasia.com.
7: Do you want to make a difference in your life? Can you do it in your current job, or do you need a career change? I'm Lucy Claire Curran, and I want to be your new career coach. I excel in creating breakthrough aha moments for my clients, but see for yourself. For a limited time, get a full coaching session at no cost. One session, free. Go to newcareer.biz. thats newcareer.biz. newcareer.b-i-z, newcareer.biz. Let's do this.
6: Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include Don't win the race. Give away your sneakers. Be more grateful and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to Make Today Matter. Available everywhere books are sold.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, welcome again to The Mentors Radio. I'm Rick Brudico, your host, speaking with uh, Tom Dooley. And um, for those of you that have stayed with us the whole program, you've been rewarded with a fascinating story and great information about uh, both the athletic world, the Olympic world, and historical events that uh, took place, uh, as I've called it a couple of times, are probably the two most infamous Olympics in our history. Um, so, with that, I'm uh, welcome back, Tom, and I'm, I'm going to try to only have a, a short period of time in this is our final segment. But you know, one of the things that I want to ask you about because I'm focused on how things that you do in the athletic world, which is I know is focused on preparation practice, repetition, over and over again, and at the same time, confidence. You have to have the confidence you just to, to succeed. So you being both an athlete, an Olympic, Olympian athlete, but also being a teacher, how do, you, how do you balance those things to have humility and the ability to be teachable, remain teachable, especially as you set a new record, record or win a new race or whatever happened? What, what has been in your experience there?
2: Well, first of all, I I felt uh, very, very early in my career, either as a teacher or as an athlete, um, I was always grateful for the experiences that I had. I had a wonderful education um, both at San Jose State and later at the University of Santa Clara, and I think those places gave me the tools uh, academically and athletically uh, to be successful, as well as understanding that you're not going to be continuously successful without failure or blips along the way. And so after every success, no matter how modest or whatever, I was always grateful for the experience. And those the, the feeling of gratitude in one area then would lead me to believe to it be able to expand my horizon and to do better. And so it was a continual uh, gratitude for the success that I had and gratitude for the feelings of learning from the experiences that were not so successful. I think I had mentioned earlier, if not I'll do it now, is I seem to think that you learn more from the failures than you do from the successes.
1: Let me comment on that. I, I will tell you, I don't remember you saying that earlier, but I can't tell you that I have done an interview where someone hasn't told me that, either in the preparation or told me it on the air. It, it, that's absolutely true, and I I tell my listeners that all the time. If you, if you think you learn from success, you really learn a lot more from failure. But go ahead. I interrupted you. I'm sorry, Tom, so keep up, please.
2: Yes, to expound on that is just... You know, if you think of a, a long-term goal or a long-term career, you you might think you're going to be entirely successful along the way, at least you, when you start out. And I think life teaches you differently and things happen along the way that could knock you off um, your goal. But you, if you're resilient enough and you have enough faith in your preparation or your background, you just... Start where you are and and continue to go forward and learning from why you made the mistakes or how the mistakes happened to you, you learn from that and hopefully you learn not to make the same mistake twice. And again, uh, you just keep pushing forward and reestablishing your goals.
1: Well, thank you, Tom, and as I promised you, these segments end quickly, especially as we get to the end of the show, so I thank you very much for taking time and coming to speaking with us today. We've run up against the timer again, and uh, I want to remind all of you that you're listening to the Mentors Radio. You can... Let's download any of these shows at uh, www.thementorsradio.com. That's www.thementorsradio.com. There's archives there for you to hear and also to see. And remember, too, that in every way and every day, make the world a little better place. And let's try to emulate some of those things that Tom Dooley has talked to us about today. Gratitude is one of the most important.
0: Thanks for listening.